0: Hey guys, what's up? It's Greg with Find Your Film. All three of us—me, Eric Holmes, Bruce Perky—we all loved Dinner in America, starring Kyle Gallner and Emily Skeggs. That said, I tried to actually post my interview with Gallner, my recent interview with him, over on the over on Cinematics. That podcast feed right now is a little bit wonky, so I'm I'm actually transporting that audio over here to Find Your Film. And I was talking to Bruce and Eric this morning, th- thinking because Bruce mentioned that. Everything that outside our normal episodes is more of a hodgepodge. So I was thinking of actually just renaming this sub feed, like "Find Your Film Hodgepodge" or "Cinema Hodgepodge" or whatever. But I, I, right now, I'm thinking there's just too many names that we've given all our different subsets of what our Find Your Film universe is. I'm just going to stick with just the normal podcast title. So for this offshoot right now, for this uh, this audio segment, you're gonna you're going to get here are my unedited interview with Cal Gallner. Again, Dinner in America is out today, Friday, May 27th, as we speak. Go support it in your local theaters. If you like Harold and Maude, Napoleon Dynamite, Bottle Rocket, but with a little bit of a crude and crass, and actually that crude and crass level of humor is lifted up by a really cool... Uh, just sentiment. It's really warm-hearted in many ways, very sweet in many ways as well as being mean. Uh, It's a weird combination that works, kind of like a sweet and savory with a sour, very very interesting stuff. But anyways, you're going to get the Gallner stuff. After the interview with Gallner, Bruce, I'm going to actually interject Bruce's going in blind segment about Dinner in America, this was beep. So again, His Bruce Perky's going in blind segments are every week. I give him and Eric a bunch of screening links to watch. And Bruce does not like going into, doesn't, doesn't like watching trailers. He doesn't watch trailers at all, actually. And sometimes he doesn't even watch them after watching the movie. So he likes to, quote unquote, go in blind with most movies he watches. So... I gave him dinner in America and what he, whenever I give him a movie, he'll probably about nine out of 10 times, he will do a going in blind segment where he'll look at the, the title and he'll make up some kind of weird random story from his subconscious. And that's kind of cool. So anyways, you, you're, you're, you're already going to know what dinner in America is, but just take a listen. And I don't know, you can listen to Bruce Perky's take on going, what, what dinner in America is about was about his guesses before he actually watched the movie. And who knows, maybe I don't know, maybe if you like one of his ideas, you might be able to steal one of his ideas and turn it into a screenplay. Don't. Hopefully Bruce is not listening to this, but all right. And if you want to be nice, maybe you can contact him and say have him be a co-writer on your stolen idea from going in blind. Anyway, so after the interview with Garner, there's just a quick 1-minute segment from Bruce and then after that we're going to dovetail right into Eric and his brother Stephen Holmes, the Holmes brothers, they're talking about the George Car- the new George Carlin documentary on HBO Max. What the heck is this called? It is called George Carlin's American Dream. I believe it's directed produced by Judd Apatow. So, and then that and Steve is a huge fan of George Carlin as well as Eric and they spend about 30 minutes talking about why they love Carlin. This is considered their quote unquote lightning speed round of their find your film game. And yeah, so this is pretty much a hodgepodge. You got to get a whole bunch of cinema. Gallner first, watch Dinner in America, and then get right into the brilliant the brilliance of George Carlin as espoused by Eric and Steve Holmes. All right, guys. So thanks again. Please rate and review our our Find Your Film podcast so we can get a little bit higher in the algorithm and support all that stuff. Thank you guys so much for supporting us on on Find Your Film and. Take care. Tell us what you think about Dinner in America. Bye. Kyle, I've been doing uh, interviews for the last 30 years, and I, it, was, it was so refreshing to see you earlier this week on Instagram just talking about Dinner in America and how much this me- movie means to you. I mean, uh-huh. it, you're, you're just putting your heart and soul in line. Can you just talk about, there's so many movies out there, but why, from your vantage point, not just as a an actor, filmmaker, but as a cinephile, why are these type of movies very rare? even with all the glut of material out there.
1: It's, it's tough. I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it, you know, people are, people are, we're, we're in a time now, I think where people are so, it's not desperate for content, but it, everything moves so fast. You know, movies used to be an event and you still have that, you know, but it, it's mostly like Marvel movies or bigger movies like that, that have sort of become a very specific thing. Whereas before, you know, you definitely had more options in theater. And so movies felt like more of a a thing. I mean, I remember being like, oh, I'm going to go see, I used to drive myself down to the arc light at like 10 o'clock at night to go see a movie by myself, you know, because I was like, oh, this looks great. I want to see this. Um, So it felt like things were a little more catered. I guess uh, I'm, I'm not sure. And stream, you know, and streaming has changed things because it's now put so much content in front of people and they need to keep up that. I feel like people are just really making, making a lot of, a lot of stuff, um, you know, to varying degrees of success or quality or, or, or whatever. I mean, you know, I'm not knocking anybody like it's, it's hard to make a bad movie. Like it's hard to make a movie, you know, even a bad movie. This it's, it's hard. So anybody who gets it done, like right on. But, you know, I think movies like this are, are, you get that kind of lightning in a bottle thing where Adam wrote something that was extremely close to him. It was very, it meant a lot to him. These characters meant a lot to him, you know, and you can feel that on the page. And that's just the first half. You then have to meet Adam. And if Adam like can't, can't put it all together, then it doesn't work. But there was just this wonderful connection of Adam being who he is and how thoughtful he was about the script and how thoughtful he was about these characters and how much he trusted me and how much he trusted Emily and how we were able to work together so closely and collaboratively to bring this story to life. Um, You know, on set, you can feel that it's different. I've made a good amount of stuff and sometimes it's just a job and sometimes you're just working and sometimes it's fun but you know it's not going to be good or like you know there's there's very different things and this one just just felt different it felt special the relationships that i built the excitement of the crew being a part of it everybody was excited you know to be there it was like summer camp it was like 6 weeks of summer camp and i think you feel that and those relationships that i've built have continued offset, which doesn't happen that often. You know, it's not, it's not to knock other people I've worked with people get busy, you know, and they have their own lives and they do their own things. And, you know, I would love to hear from them, but people get busy, but like me and Adam, we talk every like two weeks. (laughs) like, you know, we, we catch up all the time. Me and Emily are really, you know, we're very close. I consider Emily a very close friend. And so I think, I think that translates to the screen. And I think people feel that. And I also think they really relate to these characters and to the story in a big way. I think a lot of people realize they have either a Simon or a Patty inside of them, if not a combination of both. And I think, you know, they've really grasped on to that when they see the film.
0: I just you know, This movie, on a, if someone's going to be very superficial, they're going to say, okay, well... This movie, the language, the situations might be crass, crude, might not be for me. Uh, the music, punk rock, might not be for me as well, or whatnot. Some some people might say this, but if you really dig deeper, do you feel, Kyle, the the, the most punk rock thing about this movie is how two people people can show their real humanity without. Without all that saccharin involved, I think it's even more evil when you have movies that are actually are lying instead of this movie, which is actually telling the truth.
1: Yeah, no, hundred, a hundred percent. I, I, I think, um, you know, the language and things like that. Yeah, and and especially the first twenty minutes. The first twenty minutes are really intense, you know. But the first twenty minutes are intense purposefully, you know. And I think I think people when they watch the back three quarters of the movie don't realize that first 20 minutes because it's such a tonal shift. They don't realize that it's like that on purpose. We're supposed to make you sweat. We're supposed to make you uncomfortable. You're supposed to see the world for what it is. It can be ugly. It can be nasty. It can be, you know, Patty, people like Patty, you know, get shit on all the time. You know, it's like the world is still as much as people want to deny it, The world's still racist, sexist. The world's still all of these things. A lot of that still goes on, you know, and 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 some people would rather put their head in the sand and not acknowledge that. Um, And the first half, 20 minutes of the movie puts that smack in your face, you know, and that will maybe turn some people off. And yeah, through the rest of the movie, I mean, I, I, I probably say fuck 10,000 times in this film and, you know, it's, it's there, but, but deep down, it's exactly what you said, like that punk rock mentality, I think on the surface level, people, there may be some people who will be turned off, but when you really watch the movie, it's unbelievably universal, you know, like, yeah. Yeah you may play football and not have a mohawk, but I promise you, you have felt these things, these characters are going through at one point or another, you know, you have wanted to push back against the system or you have been, you know, shit on in your life, or you have, you know, you have a family that doesn't relate to you or, or something. And, and, you know, and these characters, you watch them go through it and you watch these characters that are usually sidelined characters like the friend in a movie get to be front and center. And because of that, it becomes more relatable in a way you can put yourself in their shoes a little bit easier than you can, you know, and it's not, it's not to like shit on anybody, but it's like, I, I don't know what it's like to be Chris Hemsworth. I don't know what it's like to be 10 feet tall and ripped and whatever. I mean, that's not to say he doesn't have his own problems, but I mean, in the way the world is now, People superficially, especially in a world of social media, they put themselves, you know, you're watching everybody's greatest hits. You don't realize that like, yeah, that trip that guy took was like eight months ago. And since then, he's maybe been divorced or maybe like whatever. You're just like, man, if I could only be ripped on the beach, you know, so like you get to see these people stripped down with none of those things and they are unapologetically themselves and even by the end of it there's not this great change you know they're just still who they are and i think that's a big part of the message like be you and that's you know don't don't try to conform be unapologetically
0: you Kyle i've really loved your work um for years now and i remember the first time i saw band of robbers i said okay so this lead actor I'm, I'm gonna, he's gonna get this movie. I love this movie. It's a great indie. And then I, I'm gonna see him in all these great leading man roles. And he's gonna monetize his career. And in five, six years, he's gonna be a, a, a list leading man. But that pic, my picture as a cinephile does not measure up to your awesome image of the guy who's going at ten. Ten o'clock at night, over in uh, Hollywood's, you know, your Arc Light, watching a movie that means something to him. Can you just talk about those two t- two different visions and why th- it seems that you you said acting is a job, but it feels more like more than a job to you because you're that guy going yeah. to the Arc Light.
1: When I say acting as a job, I just I mean certain certain jobs can feel like jobs. You know what I mean? Like. There's movies like this that feel like, oh, this is it. This is why I do this. Like it's collaborative, it's fun, it's it's it's, you know, you're really you're really in it. Sometimes you're servicing a project and that's fine too. Like when something feels like a job, it doesn't mean it's bad. You know, you're just sometimes there doing a job. Um there's all different experiences, but yeah, I mean, I there's so much about this industry that can be f- so frustrating, you know, so many gatekeepers, so many things that can just be so, so frustrating. Um, but when you get the opportunity to make something like this, that's the reminder of like, oh, that's why I do it. This is why I love it. These are, this is what I love, you know? And and I grew up, I mean, When I was younger, I was just like, all I did was eat almost to an unhealthy (laughs) extent. It was like eat, sleep, breathe, man. I was watching every movie. I was in acting class constantly. I was talking with like, I have another actor friend, Jake Abel, who we met each other when we were really young and me and him were just like obsessive about this. We would just be up all night, like watching movies, having conversations or like finding sales on DVDs and getting stacks of them and just sitting down and, and watching these, these things together. And like, we were absolute obsessive students about it. You know, we wanted to be those guys. We wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be DiCaprio and basketball diaries when I was a kid, you know, I didn't want to be spider or Spider-Man or whatever. Like not, not that that's bad. It was more like, I liked that stuff, you know, I, I, I wanted to (laughs) be the maniac on drugs as a kid doing it. Like, you know, I wanted to see how far I could push it. And as I've gotten older, I've learned to appreciate all sides of it where it's like, hell yeah, I would love to play. You fucking give me Spider-Man. Let's go play. Cause you know what? It would be fun, you know? And it doesn't always have to be that intense, but when I was younger, it was that like manic obsessiveness that helped build me up into what I am. And I learned lessons from that because I took it too far or I was too much of one thing. And, you know, you shift and you evolve. And as you get older, those things change and you learn. And I think that's the coolest thing about this is there is no ceiling. You know, you can change up your golf swing. Like it, it, you don't have to do it the same all the time. And that's what's fun about this. And, and as I'm getting older, I'm really getting more comfortable of relaxing into all of that and being like, it's okay. Like, it's just going to be what it's going to be. And you're going to, you're going to go and you're going to do your thing and you're going to put the work in and you're going to go play, just go play. Like, that's what this is, you know, service the material and go play.
0: Maybe I'm being naive or overstating the point, but when you have someone like, you know Emily across from you does it yeah. you know and, and obviously you're a veteran right but does it kind of take you to another place creatively when you guys are, are in those moments together whether, whether it's playing basketball or maybe it's i don't know what the song is watermelon or just yeah. when you have that that person um, beside you
1: it's it's amazing um emily's incredible and and i learned so much working with her um because we really built this trust and, you know, I've never had to play a character like this that is so elevated that there were times where I was like insecure about it of like, Oh my God, is this too much? What am I doing? And Emily was always there. She was just always there. You know, she was like the safety net. She had me, she always had my back. And, and I did, I, you know, I did my best. I would hope she would say the same thing about me having her bed, you know? um, And we really build a trust there that it allowed us to play and have so much fun. And those special moments in the film, like the watermelon song or having fun playing basketball, like we laughed our asses off that basketball day of like, just just the idea of like stuffing this poor girl, (laughs) like with the basketball, you know, stop. We would just have so much fun laughing or those like watching her sing the watermelon song was, it, it became a truly special thing. Like you knew what you were watching was special. And I was watching Emily just be so vulnerable and so wonderful. And, and, and she's so good that you're really living in these moments and those moments really do affect you. It, it, it makes the work easier,
0: you know? Yeah. And final couple questions. And these are movie related questions. Yeah. First yeah. off, you know, right off the top of your head, Kyle, can you name one of your all time favorite films and what is it specifically about this movie that still to this day resonates with you? Oh my God. What an insane question. I apologize. I know it's a horrible question. So. One? <laughs> yeah, I know. One. Um... Yeah
1: you know what, because I mentioned it, we can go back. I'm going to kind of like, it was, it was basketball diaries in this boy's life at that time when I was younger, there was a, there was, there was a, there was a turning point in my, I guess, career. You could say when I started, I started pretty young um, by pure dumb luck. I like, I fell into it and my parents were always supportive and, they would tell me to watch things, you know, things that I, other kids weren't watching. Like they would let me watch whatever, basically. (laughs) And my mom one day brought home basketball diaries. It was like, you should watch this. And I was like, why? She's like, you, you just should. And so I went down into my basement. I lived in Pennsylvania at the time. So there's basements. Um, And I popped it on and I had this moment of like, you can be that young and that good. You can be that young and do that. It was such an aha moment for me of like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, you mean, I don't have to be 30 years old and what, like I can, it it changed my whole perspective on how I wanted to work and what it took to do it. And it, and it, and it like kicked me into overdrive of like, I'm going to work my head. I want to be that good. Like at this age, I want to do that. Like I want to do that. Um so that was really a defining moment for me at a at a at a at a young age. it It really put things into play for me.
0: And kind of final question from, from your body of work. I have a, for my other podcast, my co-host Bruce, he has this thing called What's in the Box and he just has people, actors <laughs> and filmmakers. Yeah. Yeah. What's in the box? Right. Actors and filmmakers and, and just, um, and most importantly, listeners just give movie recommendations. He'll write it on a piece of paper, put it in a box and just randomly choose. So. Ah. I usually ask people to just choose a film, but what, you know, I I'm looking at your body of work. I, I'm, the next thing I'm going to watch is Welcome to Happiness from your from your mm-hmm. resume. But what would you recommend to put in the box from your own body of work to in in the box for Bruce?
1: Honestly, this I would say this. Okay, cool. I would I would yeah I would say this. <laughs> <laughs> and, I would say throw Dinner in America in the box.
0: And, and and finally, can we ever get? Will this be on Spotify? The music because the, the the music's amazing.
1: I, yeah, I think that's all being discussed. Um, all that stuff is kind of beyond my pay grade, but I I, I know it's being um, I know it's being discussed. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure it will. I mean, at the very least, I'm fairly certain the watermelon song will be. Um, but I have you know, I recorded. I think there's like five punk songs there's this band called disco assault um are they i think they're out of windsor i feel terrible that i don't remember i think they're out of windsor but they're they're called disco assault they're a really cool um canadian punk band and they um they gave us the their music and we went and um recorded it and then they laid down scratch vocals and then i did all the vocals over it and so all that stuff everything in the movie is is my vocals, Emily singing, um, we, we we did all of it. So that's why, honestly, that's why my voice is like super deep in the movie because I smoked 10 million cigarettes and I had thrashed my voice doing all the punk music the first like two days I got there. So the voice is like really deep. <laughs>
0: yeah. Kyle, really loved Dinner America. Um, thank you so much for taking the time out. Really appreciate it. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it.
2: Well, this is another going in blind. This is for a movie called Dinner in America. Starring Chloe Grace Moretz as Allie Katzenberger, Allie is the great-granddaughter. Well, hmm, let me think. Yeah, yeah. Allie is the great-granddaughter of the woman who is the waitress on the cover of Breakfast in America. What we see in Dinner in America is Chloe's character slowly making her way from New York on a giant road trip all the way to L.A. to go to the recording studio where that iconic album was recorded. Along the way, she'll meet many characters, have many adventures, And also the soundtrack will be her recording of Dinner in America, the answer album to Breakfast in America, where she redoes every song in her own unique and quirky way, Uh, especially Vibrant is her version of the logical song, Chloe Grace Moretz, in an acting tour de force that we have not seen since her days as hit girl, Dinner in America.
3: This is Eric, and I'm here with Steve, and we're gonna do a quick speed round for George Carlin as an actor, because uh, we just we saw George Carlin American Dream, a uh, documentary about George Carlin, two part documentary, I believe it was on HBO Max, yeah, and uh, yeah, which
4: crazy enough HBO Max didn't really uh, show they hardly brought it up about what he did for HBO, but they didn't enough considering they're a huge entity now. And without George Carlin, they wouldn't be a business anymore.
3: Yeah. <laughs> well, they, they kind of brought it up, but uh, I, I guess, so this is, uh, as far as the finder film game, this is going to be a speed round. Um, cause there's not a bunch, uh, for George Carlin as an actor. In fact, we're not even going to bring up what we think is going to win because we already know it's going to win. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, that would real quick. Would what, Would you think uh, Steve's a real big fan of George Carlin, as most people are? Uh, but what would you think of the the documentary overall? I thought it was really, really, really good.
4: I get sick of the documentaries where it's one sided. This one showed every aspect of him going, oh, he's this perfect guy. And then it's a bunch of famous people going jerking off. Wish they had
3: that part, but. I, I like the part where. Uh, they
4: the- showed what a terrible human he was, what a great human he was. They didn't lean left or right with his political side because everyone knew that he's just like, fuck the man, period. Yeah. I, I was, um, they, they included that, which, when everyone does their top comedians ever, it's, it's obviously George Carlin because he's done every aspect of comedy where it's political, ranting, observational, one liners, a shtick, you name it. He's done it all and mastered every one of them. Yeah.
3: I, I really liked what they did with his wife. They did her really oh well my in this. Oh, God. Um, that it,
4: made me tear up probably a good three, four different times.
3: Throughout. Cause, like, you know, they, they went into like her drinking problem. By the way, we're drinking tonight, so cheers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, they, they went into her drinking problem. You know, she had her issues and he had his issues with cocaine. Um, but they really, I think they really lean into in certain parts they lean into how um how great of a person she was and how great she was with him and I uh, it, it and was with
4: Kelly their daughter Yeah oh
3: dude she was great She's a
4: great mother outside of being an alcoholic they really showed that without yeah. gun she's a hopeless cause and then without George Carlin's mom being around, once she got clean, she's like, "I'm not coming back unless she's gone." George Carlin went straight home, and went, "Mom, I'm flying you out of here." You know? And then,
3: I mean, this will probably be spoilers, but like the the idea that um, you know she died of what? What was it? She she had like cancer or yeah, some sort, some sort of cancer, and she died, and. Uh, George Carlin's like, well, I gotta do the blah, blah, blah. It's like, you fucking shithead. Right. Here, here's a woman that was with, you know, wanted to be with you, had had your back, and she's dying. You can't be there with her. And it's like, it is there, but still the time. Yeah. But I mean, that, that's like, uh, that's like stuff that they show in this documentary that's like, uh, wow, George Carlin, you're kind of a shithead, <laughs> like in that position.
4: But, but but that's but a real the real shit I was talking about. Where it's like, yeah, that's what I want to see in a documentary. I don't want to see a one side aspect of this guy's awesome or this guy's a piece yeah. of shit. I want to see the full
3: aspect. Of I, I think another another thing that was great about the documentary was it kind of showed um beyond the personal stuff. It kind of showed his uh trajectory as a comedian. Like they mentioned a couple of times in the documentary, he's reinvented himself like four or five times, and he and you totally see that. Like you know, he's he's, he, that he's always he's always trying to reach this level, and he get he, he kind of plateaus. And he's like, I gotta do something different, and he comes out and he does something different. And, I mean, we 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 all know who the, George Carlin is, so we know how great he is. But they it, showed
4: it. I didn't know this part of it, but in the eighties. Early eighties kind of fell off. People got old of his um, word work, which yeah. I thought I still think is amazing. Which let's, Rick uh, Moranis did yep. it better, but
3: <laughs> did Rick Moranis is Rick Moranis is George doing George Carlin is probably one of the greatest things. But
4: that. I I know a lot about George Carlin. I don't read books. By read George Carlin's books, or, or I have read George Carlin's yeah. books, brain droppings. But one thing I didn't know was that Sam Kennison obviously, is all time great, but his career was so short lived in stand up.
3: Yeah, real quick, let me uh, let I, me play that scene from uh, Back to School. I'm I, I, I didn't
4: realize that Sam Kennison was George Carlin's barbie. Like oh, I need to beat this now. Yeah. Which was rad. I'd never heard that ever. Yeah. That was awesome.
3: But yeah, that I, I think if, if you're a fan of George Carlin, it's a no-brainer that you got to watch that. It's the best thing Judd Apatow's done. Yeah,
4: probably. Yeah. That would be a good IMDb I, game, but we're not doing it right yeah. now.
3: But it, it, I can it, it,
4: say blindly right now, it's the best thing Judd Apatow has done. Yeah,
3: it, it's certainly not the bubble, <laughs> <laughs> but Funny People was really good.
4: It was really good.
3: But we're gonna we're gonna do uh, George Carlin, uh, uh, Finder Film Game, and we're just gonna blow through these because he uh, what one of the things they bring up is that he always wanted to be. An actor. The comedy was a way to get into acting, and it never really materialized from. But you know, he had a couple. So let's see, let's see
4: what we got. Real quick, before we skip the whole documentary part, you know, another thing that I don't know who did the score for, it, but the score was big time on that documentary.
3: Yeah. I'm- I don't and know
4: who did it, but all that music hit perfectly at just the right
3: times. Honestly, I I, I can't even remember it. I single tiered
4: a lot, and a lot of it is because they hit that score at just the right time.
3: All right. Well, let, let's uh, let's get through the speed round. This is probably just gonna be a couple of minutes, I imagine. Uh, we got uh, George Carlin as the voice of the wizard, and happily never after. That's the winner so far. And it's going up against cars. Well, oh, cars, obvious.
4: That's an iconic role. Yep. So we got cars and Jersey Girl. Jersey Girl, without a question.
3: Okay, let's let's should we hang on this for a Let's minute hang this and f-
4: talk about how awesome this role is?
3: Because <laughs> we love Jersey Girl, and much like Batman and Robin, the Jersey Girl is a movie that, uh, especially with Kevin Smith movies, everyone shits on it. But
4: but we all know why, because at that time it is a Benefer thing. Yeah. It's easy to hate on. Jersey. But Jersey Girl is,
3: if it's not the best Kevin Smith movie, it's the second best. But I, I think... I, I even like Jersey Girl more now after watching the documentary because one of my favorite lines in Jersey Girl is like, what am I supposed to do? Try, Try being, being a,
4: a father shithead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: and then, but then you watch the documentary and you see how he was, you know, because he's always on, on tour. Yeah, so it's so true to life to him that it's, he's able to portray that. And also, I got to give I gave credit. Which,
4: on that same scene, the documentary out also shows how introspective he was. Yeah.
3: Oh yeah. He's
4: very like, he's very aware of how he was fucking up. So now watching it, I want to watch Jersey Girl again and cry even harder somehow.
3: But I also want to. I also want to <laughs> kind of lean into Kevin Smith in general, um, because George Carlin always wanted to be an actor, and I think, I I, I don't want to show my hand, but. I think uh Kevin Smith was one of very few
4: that wanted people to give him that
3: opportunity. The, George Carlin got a chance to fucking flex his acting muscles and he did it in Jersey Girl, whether you like and it or dogma. not. Dogma. And dogma. Um That was
4: but, right that, after his wife died.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. That
4: part where he didn't want to take off his wedding ring is too fresh. Yeah. So they
3: put the band around it. But uh I I you know, if Kevin Smith, you know, one thing, one feather he'll always have in his cap is that he allowed George Carlin to really flex his muscles as an actor. And that's something he's always wanted to do. And Kevin Smith allowed that. So good on you. And it it, it was a fucking great character, too. Bart, Bart Trink. Bart Trinky. Trinky. <laughs> Um, but yeah, his character in Jersey girl is great. Um, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, uh, I don't
4: know if this is going to happen uh, since we're on this George Carlin thing, which I have been my whole life. I'm just glad it a real documentary came out about him. Yeah. So does that mean, uh, the 30th when that Norm McDonald nothing special comes out. We're going to do the Norm McDonald? Yep.
3: Yep. I don't know if we're not talking about it now Because we will do that after. I just want to say Klaus I, I Unbelievable will, performance I, I, will, <laughs> I will watch that And Vampire Dog before we do
4: Klaus, <laughs> unbelievable performance
3: uh, But we're not talking about that now the Jersey Girl is a great movie And it, it, at least With uh, me and Steve It it moves us And George Carlin was a big part Of that And uh, you know, actually, Kevin Smith shits on that movie a lot too, and I wish he wouldn't because I think Jersey Girls super underrated. Everyone always does that
4: though, like Casey Affleck always shits on Drowning Mona.
3: Dude, Drowning Mona's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, this is one finally. of the most
4: unappreciated <laughs> comedies ever.
3: Yeah. So anyway, uh, Jersey Girl, th- this one's probably gonna win, but let's go. We got uh, he played architect in Scary Movie three. I don't even remember. Uh, neither do I um, He, uh, th- We're not gonna I'm not gonna franchise rule The uh, Kevin Smith movies Because he played different characters in each one right. So he played Hitchhiker And Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back Or <laughs> Jersey Girl
4: I'm going Jersey Girl but that was a good one That over exaggeration and <laughs> the blowjob
3: oh. <laughs> Alright um, uh, So Jersey Girl Or Dogma is Cardinal Glick
4: that's up there, but Jersey Girl, you know me. I I love tear jerking shit, so this Jersey Girl yeah. for me.
3: But his his character is Cardinal Glick and Dogmo's pretty fucking. Before Jersey Girl, and actually, he. I'm thinking Jersey Girl's going to win, but let me throw out this argument. His character is Cardinal Glick, kind of plays more into George Carlin's stand up and his personality and his thoughts on just religion in general
1: yeah
4: yeah because he's it was an interesting character because he's playing a cardinal which is huge in religion but his character was still kind of pointing out kind of anti-religion and kind of a sideways sort of way yeah, I don't know if I'm wording which, that which, right.
3: Which is weird for Kevin Smith because he's a fucking he's he's is religious. I I person. don't know if he's that strong in it nowadays, but certainly when he made Dogma, he didn't make Dogma and um, you know, he didn't do it as a joke. Like he, uh, all
4: he, the characters did, but being a cardinal in that as a character in that movie is real interesting because there's a lot of sideways jabs to religion
3: yeah but that's what i'm saying it, it was written by kevin smith and he wasn't that guy at that time right but, but george carlin was so you basically you basically got a catholic writing a part for an atheist doing a part of a catholic that kind of doesn't take his the position seriously is. and he doesn't really take his position that seriously so I, I kind of want to go with Dogma just because I like I I love him in Jersey Girl.
4: I I love the character more as a Cardinal. Yeah, but as far as touch touching me, like the, my the heart Cardinal strings. will
3: touch you so long as you're under
4: <laughs> age. I, I I mean the the role actually touching me. It's Jersey Girl.
3: All right. I, I'm. You know what? Yeah. Yeah. We'll go with Jersey Girl. Cause that, you know what, Dogma gets his day in the sun. I, I think people like Dogma, but Jersey Girl doesn't get. It. Okay, so this is a TV miniseries, but I love him in this. Is Billy Williams in Streets of Laredo? Have you watched that? It's, it's been it's been a while. It's been a while. I could not even tell you much. Yeah, Streets of Laredo isn't gonna win, but that street like if he's got another great part, it's is uh, Billy Williams in Streets of Laredo. And he's not in it that much. I kind of wish he was in it more. But if uh, I think maybe a lot of people have seen Lonesome Dove. Streets of Laredo is the sequel to Lonesome Dove. And I think Streets of Laredo is better.
4: Than- no. I'll have to re-watch it. I haven't watched it probably since it came out. Yeah.
3: And I believe that... Uh, no Prince of Tides. He was in Prince of Tides. That's
4: the one I was talking to you earlier. Yeah. I remember loving that movie, but I haven't watched in so long. I need to refresh in that one for sure.
3: Yeah, that
4: one's on definitely on my queue of one of my next movies to watch again.
3: Yeah, the scene they played in the uh, the documentary was good, but I fuck, I don't remember a damn thing. I don't on remember how much he's in it or much of anything. Yeah, and Nick Nolte's in it. It's like ah hell, you know, it's oh, pretty good. Hell. <laughs> Prince of Ties, you know, I did, I did that. In my, you know, fucking, uh, George Carlin showed up and was like, hey, you want to do some coke? Why not? I'm here. <laughs> uh, so Jersey Girl or Rufus in Bill and Ted movies?
4: Fuck. I know this sounds ridiculous to anyone blindly listening, but Rufus is such a great character. I know Bill and Ted is taken as what it is, sort of movie. Yeah. Which is fine, but Rufus was, he's an, what's a word for it? He's, a funk killer. His character was otherworldly, figuratively and literally. Yeah. Like his, even when they did a throwback and the new Bill and Ted, like, I know I'm looking into Bill and Ted way too deep, but that's a George Carlin lover in me. That dude changed my life when I was a kid, so... Yeah. Maybe I'm looking at way too deep, but... Whoa, what was that? As a dad now, Jersey Girl hits me way harder. Yeah. Even harder than I wasn't a dad when I first watched and loved it, so... I'm still going that way.
3: Yeah, I think uh, I think the Rufus character is certainly iconic, but um with Jersey Girls as well. Uh, next, uh, we got. Uh, I'll, I'll just read through these because I haven't seen any of these. We got Outrageous Fortune, Americathon. Car Wash. I think it's how Car Wash. Car but-
4: Wash. He he he. Essentially, played himself as a character. Okay, and.
3: With six, you get egg roll. (laughs) You played Herbie Fleck.
4: Okay.
3: And uh, the first movie, um, unknown, uncredited, The Glass Bottom Boat. I have no idea what that is.
4: Isn't that like a sexual term?
3: Sure. So, yeah. Uh, Directed by Frank Tashlin. Written by Everett Freeman with Doris Day, Rod Taylor, Arthur Godfrey and John McGiver. Yeah. Bottom
4: boat. Once again, directed by Frank Darabont starring Otis
3: day. There you go. (laughs) So yeah, this was just meant to be a quick one. And then we had to end with fucking bullshit. (laughs) Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, Jersey girl ran away with this as I, well not totally ran away with it but the the other one i think was dogma and uh again another kevin smith joint and so hey good on you kevin smith you uh, fucking gave uh you gave george Carlin not one but actually three pretty good rules
4: and ending it i really want to give a nod to judd apatow for giving him a true documentary oh yeah if anyone deserves it it's him yeah, I, that dude changed my life big time. Being a not even a teenager when I first saw Jamie in New York, yeah, I was probably what ten, eleven, and right off the bat I was like, "Oh yeah, fuck the man." And I didn't know what the man was. Yeah, dude changed my whole life, and I fuck didn't the man. What
3: dad? Like, uh, I remember yeah, seeing I the
4: George Carlin <laughs> show. That probably came out right around the same time. Jim New York, maybe a little before. Yeah, I didn't know shit, but I just knew I loved that character, even though know, the show bombed. Going, oh yeah, this dude's just like fuck everybody. I love this guy. <laughs> Here I am, a ten year old, not knowing shit about
3: life. So I actually since um fuck, um uh, a speed round. This is going on quite long, but. <laughs> but uh we you know we were talking about uh uh John Hughes like what would you have you know we and we were talking about like oh what if John Candy did this with John Hughes or or uh Chris Farley did the the Fatty Arbuckle thing with the um Sydney Lament? like what's what's i guess a dream project you would have liked to see George Carlin like oh he would have been great in that if if he would have paired with so and so or maybe he was
4: Honestly, you and me, how much we loved him in Jersey Girl. He could hit that deep, that deep role real well. Where I think he would have really shone was pulling like a Jeremy Pippen, Dennis Leary thing. Just being that quick lip character. But in actual movies people watched, I thought he would have really shown then and then could have went on
3: from then. I don't, uh, I don't want to... uh, Michael Parks was great in Red State. But could you see George Carlin playing Michael Parks' part in Red State? Honestly, (laughs) this is
4: an impartial part of me. I could see George Carlin playing almost anything. Like even the Shark and Jaws? But (laughs) if he would have his fair chance in being a bigger actor... I would love to see him do a Paul Thomas Anderson movie.
3: Well, so of
4: the, I think Paul Thomas Anderson is real good at bringing the comedy out of someone, but bringing out the depth in someone. Yeah, That or David Gordon Green, if he would do someone, David Gordon Green
3: would be rad. So like what, like what, like I mean, I guess Burt Reynolds' part in uh, Boogie Nights with George Carlin. Oh shit, yeah, that would be real good. (laughs)
4: I mean that's hard to say now because that movie's so sad. Or uh, like, uh,
3: fight, fuck, which is uh, the the colonel,
4: Colonel Parker. yeah.
3: Not one uh, the, the Parker, in, in yeah. Boogie Nights. The uh, oh, they're they're so, like imagine George Colin. Oh, they're so they're so cute, and I just and then <laughs> Reynolds just turns around. Nope, <laughs> we're we're not having this.
4: See, I I think he should have started off as a Jeremy Piven, Dennis Lurie, and then worked into that yeah but
3: but I mean this is stuff that didn't happen so it's kind of right. like a hey what a shit. yeah but. Uh,
4: but as far as one defining role that he would oh just owned... I got it
3: George Carlin as Black Panther <laughs> no that probably wouldn't work <laughs> uh
4: Tamney in uh gangs in New York. Which, which one's that? The oh, the guy with the the Irish yeah. governor guy that they want him to run.
3: Yeah, I can see that. We're a big Tammany oh, family. Or fucking George Carlin is uh, Bill, Bill the butcher. butcher. <laughs> hey, on my challenge. Yeah. <laughs> uh, settle for good and all. Who holds sway at the firepower?
4: I, I'm sure he would have been great, but th- that's kind of that's kind of sacrilegious. <laughs> Because that's one of the greatest roles ever played by
3: anyone, dude. George Carlin is Bill the Butcher. That no, first of all, no. But I kind of want to see that. Like Actually, they they
4: do, they do that they do that fucking shit with Jack Lemmon's part in Dad. Uh, yeah, I bet he could have played that real well. Yeah, but I mean, it's, hard, it's hard to I replace don't know if Jack Lemmon anyone who's listened this
3: has seen the movie Dad, but get on that. I mean Jack Lemmon's in it, and, and Jack Lemmon's tough, and to, Ted Danson's real good in that too. But I mean, just in general, Jack Lemmon's tough to replace. But yeah, but I can, and Dad, George Carlin could do that. Yeah, although probably not at the time. I think like, he could. No, I'm I'm saying like uh, George Carlin, like in his later years, probably would have played that part better than he would have. At his age, when that movie came oh, out,
4: freshly watching that documentary, that time would probably be the best
3: time for him to play that. wouldn't didn't Dad come out in like the nineties though? He still
4: late eighties, early nineties. Yeah,
3: he was. He, I'm I'm saying George Carlin. But uh, you know,
4: just freshly watching that documentary, they already went through a lot.
3: Yeah, but so you
4: might I, have that inner t-
3: turmoil already. But what I'm saying is, you get da- you get uh, George Carlin from like you know, two thousand seven George Carlin playing dad. He might be too cynical then. I mean,
4: I won't pass he's of over, overly talented, obviously comedically. Oh he doesn't have to be cynical because he's
3: reading lines.
4: I don't think he was uh I don't think he is given a fair shake
3: in acting. But yeah, there there's some there's some good ones there. Um, and this, uh, the speed round went along, (laughs) speed round went on, it's a slow round, (laughs) turned into a slow round, short round, short round. There you go. You call him Dr. Jones lady. (laughs) Dude, have you seen everything everywhere all at once yet? Not yet. Dude, you have to watch that. I I will. He is, he is so good in that fucking movie. And. I, I know, like, I kind of want to watch it with you just so I can see the part and then point at the screen and look at you and go, see, see what I'm talking <laughs> about? And you'll go, Qu- quit talking to me, Eric. I'm trying to cry here.
4: I'm a crier. I love crying. Well, only with movies. Real life, I hold everything in. Yeah.
3: But when it comes to movies, I let it all out. But you, you talk about, like, you know, certain uh, critics talk about uh, actors. So and so is a revelation. Key Kwan in everything, everywhere, all at once. That was his masterpiece. Holy shit. He's fucking great in that movie. <laughs> it's like, oh, data? Yeah. Data is fucking fantastic in that movie. <laughs> um, and you know what? Uh, uh, George Carlin could play hot dog fingers. <laughs>
4: Closing words, RIP to the master nobody's covered that many bases in comedy and created that many bases in comedy yeah and that documentary solidified it i thought even though i was already impartial
3: but see uh, oh, fuck now we're gonna go on even longer <laughs> <laughs> this is a speed round folks um what like george car or um uh, not george car uh fucking richard pryor Usually you hear George Carlin and Richard Pryor in the same sentence. But Richard Pryor died.
4: No, yeah, you got he got the Kurt Cobain treatment.
3: Yeah. But what what I'm saying Which is, by
4: that I'm I'm not putting down Richard Pryor to, at all. What, what Kurt a, Cobain treatment in my eyes was Kurt Cobain how I grew up. I love Nirvana. Yeah. I fucking love Nirvana. That's all I listened to is Nirvana. Yeah. And dad would always be like, "What the fuck are you listening to? This music is bullshit." Then,
3: dude, are you gonna call out dad on a podcast? <laughs>
4: <laughs> Let me follow that up. My dad's a genius. I look high on that dude, like no. <laughs> well, baby.
3: it's too late now. No one's gonna believe you. Now.
4: <laughs> <laughs> However. And then Kurt Cobain dies, and Dad's all like, "Yeah, he's a genius songwriter." I was like, "No, you don't get to say that." Yeah, although, I I know he is.
3: Although it, it's hard. Richard
4: to, Pryor, he got that Kurt Cobain treatment, where it's like, he is a game changer,
3: no doubt. What, that dude. But what I'm getting with uh, Richard Pryor is we we saw, especially with the documentary. But if you've been following George Carlin, you see him grow in different different points in his career had uh, Richard Pryor lived that long, would he also have kind of pivoted and, you know, done it granted, like as George Carlin got, guy,
4: George Carlin got, got a uh, more treatment. Cause he started off with HBO when they started off and made them the big thing. They are now. So he got special after special after special because he was HBO. Yeah. So he's got this line of work that's what, 14, 14 specials? But I think what, it was. What,
3: where I want to give uh, Richard Pryor some credit is if he's alive during like a, a Black Lives Matter or he's alive during, uh, you know, the fucking uh, Hands Up, Don't Shoot, which. Quite honestly, didn't start. You know that that's been going on for a while. But like, does uh, does Drew, or does Richard Pryor kind of pivot and kind of uh, does his comedy change as social things change? Because we we only know Not really
4: because he started off with the social change.
3: I, I know, but the things change, and then he would always completely. So he, in that he,
4: sense, he'd be the same, which. Isn't dogging That's awesome. Yeah.
3: But I I think that, I think he would continue to be relevant just because. Oh, you I, definitely
4: I, continue to be
3: relevant. As a, uh, as a species, we're stupid and uh-huh. we don't learn lessons and we keep fucking things up. I mean, up.
4: who's the number one person that everyone goes to in social change? Dave Chappelle. Yeah.
3: If Richard but, but, Pryor was
4: still going, it's Richard Pryor.
3: Yeah, the, the, I guess that's what I'm getting at. Would Richard Pryor be kinda where Dave Chappelle is right now, or Chris Rock?
4: It it would be up to his choice whether he wanted to lay back and live life or but he would definitely be on top of that yeah. list if he wanted to. But I, I Which guess it, I think he would because I, obviously how he started out, his social change is a motherfucker. He's going out to wide audiences doing nothing but why you killing us jokes. Yeah. Didn't give a fuck, but I I think I mean
3: we can all agree he's that a
4: black Lenny Bruce just not giving a fuck. We can
3: we can all agree that uh, the the greatest comedian ever is Dan Rainey. But I think if <laughs> don't laugh, you know I'm right. I'm laughing because no one knows who he is but me and you. <laughs> Dan Rainey, if you're listening to this, you're fucking awesome. If you don't know who Dan Rainey is, fucking look him up. That guy's <laughs> fucking hilarious. But we all know that Dan Rainey is the greatest comedian ever. But then below him, a lot of times you hear George Carlin and Richard Pryor. And I wonder if George Carlin gets the leg up just because he lived longer. I wonder if...
4: See, where you said that, I I find that not true, what you just said. The greatest comedian, just because he's the funniest, is Norm MacDonald. The greatest comedian... Is Dan Rainey, but it, below George that, George Carlin, because his line of work is longer than anyone's yeah. ever, and he crossed every line of comedy and mastered it. So,
3: yeah,
4: what else do you have to do?
3: Yeah, well, the the whole reason I even brought it up was like it shouldn't even be an argument with what where, do you, where, do think, where do you where do you think where do you think Richard Pryor would be had he lived as long as George Carlin did.
4: Richard Pryor, he would be up there with the funniest. He would be enormous for me personally. He yeah. would be enormous, Donald. He's one of the funniest. But I don't know if he would go through the different yeah. types of comedy right. and master. I think he would do what Richard Pryor does, which is great. But no one has ever even came close to. I can't think of. Any comedian that's tried past two different types of comedy. Yeah. George Carlin has done, what, five, six? Yeah. And mastered them all? Like, he... I I hate saying this, but he's the Tom Brady of comedy. Oh, God. <laughs> he's lasted the years. He has all the accolades. Like, you yeah. have to give it to him.
3: Yeah.
4: You can't argue it. You just... As far as the accolades, you have to give it to him.
3: Yeah, I, I, I still, I, I, and again, we we talked about this when we talked about John Hughes. It would have been neat to see what Richard Pryor would have done, or fucking even like a like. I know you don't like Bill Hicks, but it would have been neat to see what Bill Hicks, what his comedy would be like no, today. Clarify
4: that. I love Bill Hicks writing.
3: There, okay. I I that,
4: hate his delivery.
3: That that's fair. Um. I, I disagree, but I, I get that. Um, or like a Lenny Bruce. Like, what would – Len, like, Lenny Bruce is like, oh, it's so dated. It's like, yeah, but at the See, time- but
4: Lenny Bruce is like Jimi Hendrix. That's a game changer. Yeah. That's awesome. No one's <laughs> negating what you did. Yeah. But the documentary brought that up. What one-liners does he have that you remember? What one joke does he have that you yeah. remember? Yeah.
3: But the uh, what I'm getting at with the... Uh, but with the, the
4: Jimi Hendrix idea is, <clears throat> okay, you, you did this, what no one else has done. But people do that now and better. And that's not putting down what you've done. You, you're the game changer. You get all that credit. Yeah. But you can't say you're the best because there's people that are better now. And they're a victim of their time. I get that
3: in that yeah. argument, but, but that—that's the—that's the whole thing I'm bringing out in the speed round, which we should have ended <laughs> half hour ago. But like, what can you imagine? Like, what Lenny Bruce's comedy would be like if he were alive today? You know, it, it's it's you know not fair because it didn't happen. I, I but, don't. But, but he to
4: break those barriers of. I think it would
3: something new. I think it would because like he literally went to jail for his comedy.
4: But, but that's because he's saying crass words.
3: Yeah. But, uh, but,
4: but where do you go after that to be the next? I don't, I don't know, but that he's a line stepper. Where does he step over the line then? I I don't know. Like, was he become Don Rickles doing racist jokes next to a black guy and they're laughing, but you can see in their eyes, like, Dude, you're funny, but fuck
3: you, dude. <laughs> yeah, but I mean that—that's the whole—that's the whole idea of you know the uh, what what do you call that the uh, thing that I don't can't say because I've been drinking. <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it, it's fun to think of like where people would be now that it passes. Like, oh, would what, would. What, where would Lenny Bruce be today? Where would Richard Pryor be today? Where would John Candy? Richard Pryor would definitely be relevant.
4: Yeah. I don't know if he would change his style, which is fine because he's awesome yeah. at his style. But George Carlin with how much he's done with comedy, I don't know if anyone will even come close yeah. to that.
3: Well, anyway, this was the lightning round. <laughs> <laughs> so.